0: Let's go straight to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to start in chapter 1. Praise God, it's going to be good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is speaking to a church that has been beleaguered, a church that's been under some oppression, some affliction. He comforts them with the words that not only is this temporary, that God is the one that will strengthen them and He will help them to endure and They're not going to lose this battle. But he also comforts them with this thought that this is all temporary right here. This life is not forever. And he says there will be in this life, God is your deliverer. Also in the next, he said, you're going to get a reward for enduring. And he says, if those that have been oppressing and afflicting you, they don't turn around. Unfortunately, they're going to face their own reward of a different type. Now, that's not God's will. God's will for them is, the Bible says, that all would come to repentance. God is not one that delights in punishment. The Bible says he, de- he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He delights in mercy. He delights in loving kindness. And yet, if you refuse His gift, His free gift of salvation, you, you're on your own. And so, it, it, in 1 Thessalonians 1, He's speaking about this. But then He gets to this point, and we're going to go in uh, verse 11. He's talking about when Jesus comes back and he, gets, he says, we'll get to marvel at him. We'll get to, to worship at his feet. And it says this, to this end, also we pray for you always that our God would count you worthy of your calling. Uh, another way, and you might have this in the column of your Bible, is that our God would make you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and of our Lord Jesus. This is a big thought. Let's look at that verse before here, verse 11. He says that his prayer is that God would fulfill every desire they have for goodness. Now, many of us know what that's like. You know what it's like to desire to do things to do good things, to do things for God, to do the things that will uh, uh, make a, a, an effect that will change the, the surroundings around you, the people around you. Many of us have that desire. But it doesn't come about by just wanting it a little bit more than everybody else. He says, it's my prayer that God would fulfill every desire you have for goodness and the work of faith with power. Now, this is big. What in the world is the work of faith with power? It sounds good, but what does that mean? Well, it means, now, first of all, you start with that desire for goodness. Where does that desire come from? It comes from God, right? He put that desire in your heart. That desire for goodness, that desire to to make an impact. There are other words in the Greek language that we could translate as goodness that would just be basically a a state of being that you weren't bad, you were were not evil, you were just kind of good. But this word is active. It's not just, well, they're a good person because they never did anything bad. This word is active goodness. It's it's going out into a dark world and making a dent in the darkness with the light. This is is actually changing the atmosphere around you. And he said, God's the one that puts that desire in you. That comes from him. That's his desire put into you. And he says, it's my prayer that God would fulfill this desire in you. Not not just give you the desire, but actually fulfill it. And then it says, and the work of faith with power. Faith, as we know, begins with belief, right? What are you believing? The work of, I mean, when we, when we have faith, we say we have faith, is that some sort of strange mystical force out there that just is kind of a new agey Star Wars kind of thing? Or is there something else to it? Faith by itself, without God doesn't exist, right? What do we have? We have faith in God, we have faith in his word that's where we that's where we begin that's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God because faith begins as this is many people have said before Faith begins where the will of God is known, so you don't have faith in something that God has never promised or never said. you don't have faith in you know uh, You know, you don't just have faith that that if I believe hard enough, we'll all have unicorns, our own pet unicorns, and and we'll get to ride them to church every Sunday. If I just believe enough, well, what are you believing in? Because God never said you're all going to have unicorns, did he? So that's really not faith in God, that you're just hoping that you wish something hard enough. That's kind of a Disney idea. It's not a God idea. Many times, as you wish upon the star, you dream things. I mean, I don't care what Mickey or Jiminy Cricket told you. That's not how it works. Having faith means clinging to what God has promised, relying on Him. But now, faith is not just simply a feeling or a belief that you have. James said, you show me your faith. I'll show you my work that goes with it because when I have faith, when I believe, I have action that corresponds with it. He says faith without corresponding action is dead because it abides alone. It's not real faith. It's just an idea. It's just a thought. But faith will always lead you to act on something. And here it calls it the work of faith. That's when belief went to action. Your action isn't saying, well, I believe that God wants me to do this, so I better figure out a way to do this, or else it wouldn't be a work of faith. In order for it to be a work of faith, the whole time you're working, you're relying on Him. That's the only way it's a work of faith. Otherwise, you've switched to faith, from faith to self-reliance. You've started depending on you to get it done, your education, your training, your ability. That's not how it works. If if it's a work of faith, then from the beginning to the middle to the end, you've got to be relying completely on Him. That's the only way it's a work of faith. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Israelites got halfway through the Red Sea? God split the Red Sea for them. They get halfway through and then say, we got it from here. We can swim from here. Let's just do the rest on our own. So that we don't say, because we all know that God helps those that help themselves. So He's going to love us a little bit more if we, just, if we at least put some of our effort into it. No, God was glorified because He did it all. Thank God for that, amen? The work of faith is putting action to your faith, but it's never releasing It's never letting go of the fact that it is by the strength, by the grace, by the anointing, by the help of God that you're getting it done. In fact, it's all Him. In fact, let's read the rest of it. Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. Not just by you, but in you. That the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified in you, and here's a big one, and you in Him. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want any glory for me. It's not for you. It is for him. But in order for him to be glorified in you, you also must be glorified in him. Then it says this, according to. Now, what does it mean when we see in the Scripture we see the words according to? What does that mean to us? That that means that this is where it's coming from. Right? Like if I turn on my tap, that water that's coming out, the amount of water I can use is according to the supply that the water treatment plant or wherever it's coming from, it is according to their supply that I can keep that tap going, right? Have you ever had a better example being hot water, you know? And uh, in in our home, we'd go through times, especially once we hit, my sister and I hit teenagehood, where uh, the hot water tank would run out, you know? And uh you know, my wife and I, we live in a, a, a condo now and so the hot water never runs out. It's the most wonderful thing in the world, but we just never have time anymore because we have a baby. So it's a it's a it's a trade-off, but when I was a teenager, I remember the remember that moment the hot water started to run out. I I heard a story about a fellow when he was a teenager um and he thought he had developed a superpower. He thought he was becoming immune to heat. Uh he thought because the longer he stayed in the shower, he kept turning it to hotter and he it, it wasn't feeling it. Well, it turned out the hot water was just simply running out and he had no superpower whatsoever. Your access, the amount of hot water you're using, is according to the supply of that hot water tank. You can't use more hot water than that tank can hold or else it runs out. So when we say according to, that's very important. When the Bible says, "My God will supply all of your needs according to" it doesn't say according to how much you need. He says according to his riches and glory. So the 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 amount you have access to the supply, uh, how soon it will run out is according to his riches and glory. Of course, we know his riches and glory never run out. So that's a big statement. We know that when it says that uh, God is is uh, making known this wisdom to the world, it's, I mean, he says that he's uh, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. That's a big thought. Whenever you see in the Scripture, according to, he's telling you where that source is. Where, what are you depending on? What are you relying to? And here it says that all of these things, it says that that he would fulfill every good desire in you, that he would fulfill the work of faith with power, thank God, because when you're walking by faith in him, it's powerful. It's not a wimpy life. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a stale life. It's a powerful life. He says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that's where the supply is coming from. That's where your strength is coming from. That's where your life is coming from. If you're going to do anything for God, it's got to be according to His grace, His strength that He's supplying to you. The Scripture teaches us that there are two parts to play in everything that God does through people. The first part is always His, His supply. We often refer to that to grace, His strength on our behalf, His ability for our inability, His His. Work for our work. And so that's the grace of God extended towards us. But the scripture teaches us that God didn't just grab you by the collar and shove his grace down your throat. The way we received it, the way you got born again, was through faith. So his part is his supply, which he gives freely. Without respect to people, without picking favorites, he gives freely. Our part is to, by faith, receive what he's given what He's already given you, faith grabs out, faith hitches on to that grace and receives it. So His part is the hard part. His is the supply. His is the life. Our part is to believe it and to receive it. Here it says that everything good you're ever going to do for Him is according to the grace of God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a big thought because this says that you can't halfway through start depending on yourself. You can't halfway through say, I got this, I can finish this up. Everything you're ever going to do for Him is going to be done through Him. I've often thought, why is it so difficult in our culture? that You know, with, with our culture, uh, Christianity, Christianity's theolog- theology has gotten slicker and and, and more defined, and there's some good things about it. Uh, our marketing has gotten better. I don't know if that helps much of anything, uh, but you know, sometimes we look around and go, "But where, 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 where is the the church of the Book of Acts? Where, where is the Jesus of the Gospels?" You know, we, we we have good. We've got a good thing rolling here. We we have fun at church, but where is the power in our lives? Where's the where are the uh, daily workings of faith in our life. And I think part of the problem is is that we've become so um, hyper-trained and hyper-educated. And I believe education is a wonderful thing. I'm all for it. But with everything you learn, with every bit of knowledge, comes the temptation to pride to rely on that knowledge instead of relying on God. So with every bit of knowledge you gain, you must also grow in humility. If you don't grow in humility in equal levels with that knowledge, what will happen is, exactly what the scripture says, is it says that knowledge puffs up. And so if you are not staying humble before God, then what will happen is, your education, your training, you will sub that in for God working through you. You see, the people that God picked to start His church, were trained, but their training was not what he what he used when he, when he set them loose. He had a big chunk of them that were fishermen. Never in the early church did they start church on the water. Never in the early church did they say, we're going to support the ministry by fishing. The last time we ever see them fish is right before Jesus appears to them on the beach after he's risen from the dead. And they may have gone fishing for fun after that. I don't know, but after that, I don't see in the book of Acts them going fishing. Now, they were trained in it. They knew how to do it better than everybody else. But you watch what happened. Their supply, their provision didn't come from their vocational training. They trusted in God, and God, gave, God supplied their needs. You watch when Jesus comes and he picks up Matthew, a tax collector. Now, although the tax collectors of the time were known to be crooked at times and, 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 and dishonest, We don't have any evidence that Matthew was particularly dishonest, but we can all guess he was probably good with numbers. But did you notice that he wasn't the guy that Jesus picked to to guard the treasury or to look after the money? Wouldn't he be the natural choice? Because the guy Jesus picked wasn't good at it. (laughs) little guy named Judas. (laughs) Things didn't turn out well for him. But isn't it Interesting that God took them totally out of what they were used to and put them in a new world where they completely relied on Him. You know what, it worked. It really did. One of the people that was best trained for the job was probably the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul had that religious training, the Bible school training. And do you know what he said about his Bible, his years and years of Bible school training that prepared him for the ministry? He said, I count it as dung. It's manure to me. And I'll tell you, that's why he was successful. Because he learned how to empty himself and say, I'm not bringing anything to the table. This is coming from him. Thank God for his training. Now, I'm not telling you Bible school is bad. (laughs) If God sends you to Bible school, he's going to use it. But you have got, as you grow in knowledge. Now, the Bible says study to show yourself approved. We should be growing in the knowledge of God. We should be training. We should be learning. But with all these things, you don't sub in your education for his help. Because what happens is your pride outpaces your ability. And what happens is you start to rely on yourself and things fall apart. So the biggest problem with our culture is we are arrogant. We think we got it all figured out. We think we know the methods and the systems. We've got all the training and the education. We're enlightened. And the problem is that we rely on that to make the church keep going instead of the power of God. And I'm not saying this to bust anybody down or to bash anybody, but we must remember that we must have the attitude that was in Christ Jesus who emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. And when he did that, he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. But God highly exalted him and gave him a name above all names. That at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus was Lord. And so here's the deal. We've got to have the same attitude that we empty ourselves and say, everything I need is in you. Everything good comes from you. I'm relying completely on you. You've got to take off your coat that you brought to the service that coat that had all the badges, all the degrees. God can use those degrees. God can use your training. But only if you're humble with it. Only if you're able to say, this does not replace you. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, especially because we've we've been in church long enough that we know how things work. We've been in church long enough that we've developed systems. There are some great people out there that have developed some wonderful technologies that we make use of. The temptation is to make it so slick that no one notices if God leaves the room. We never want to do that. In the same way, the temptation is that when you had nothing, You gave and you trusted God to supply. And you trusted God. God, I'm going to give more than I ever thought possible because you supply seed to the sower. And then when God blesses you and your business takes off and and you're doing well, then you say, okay, God, now I got this. My business is doing well. I'll give out of that. I'll just give out of my my surplus. I'm doing well. I, I got this. Now I'm the provider. Boy, you know, that doesn't last long. Does God want to help your business? Absolutely. But when it gets better, you don't forget. You don't change what got you there. You don't fall in love with the money. You don't fall in love with the system. What you do is you say, when I, when I had nothing, I relied completely on God. And now that I have something, I'm going to rely on Him just the same. He's going to use what I have, but He's going to do what I can never do. I want to read you something. Many of you know the story of Sodom. More. Sodom, particularly, was a city that Abram's nephew, he was later called Abraham, but at the time his name was Abram. His nephew Lot had moved to Sodom. And God said that the wickedness of Sodom had rose to him. And this was the Old Testament, mind you. But in the Old Covenant, there had to be a punishment for this. God looked and He said, if I find this many righteous people, I'll spare it. Abraham, Abraham bargained with him and said, he kept bringing God down. If, if, What about this many? What about this many? What about this many? And still, there weren't enough righteous people to save that city. Some have said that the sin of Sodom was homosexuality. I've never believed that from, from this perspective. That yes, the men in the city called out to have relations with those angels that visited Lot. But when they couldn't have relations with those men, Lot sent out his daughter, which was a dumb move. He sent out his daughter, and they were perfectly happy with that. It's not that they had any particular preference one way or the another. It was that they were perverted. They were just sexually perverted. So did God destroy the city because of sexual perversion? Was that their sin? No, I believe that was a symptom of the sin. I'll show you where I get that from. If we turn in the Bible, turn in our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. We're gonna to turn to Ezekiel sixteen. Ezekiel 16 God is explaining to his people the people of Judah how they thought they were doing well but God had destroyed other cities for much less. They thought they were better but he said even Sodom, even Samaria who you thought were so bad. Because what Sodom was a long time before, right? Samaria was the capital of Israel. Judah and Israel were once one nation. But what happened was they split off. They split between each other. And the northern kingdoms, which was Israel, was the kingdoms of Israel, were more wicked than that of Judah. Judah was the one that, that, that stayed true to God. That was the line of David. And uh, the, the, the sins of Israel caught up to them. The Assyrians took over. And uh, the Israelite tribes were spread out. So the people in Judah thought they were better, at least better than the northern kingdom. But God is telling them, you guys are a little bit puffed up. You're not as good as you think you are. Watch what he says in verse 47. Sorry, verse 48. Ezekiel 16:48, As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. That's a scary thought, isn't it? (laughs) That you're worse off than Sodom. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. But she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty, haughty means proud, arrogant, and committed abominations before me Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Here's the thought. The original sin was pride. It led to a bunch of other bad stuff. When I said this was not the sin that caused Sodom, I'm not saying that wasn't sin. I'm just saying it wasn't what destroyed them. It wasn't the original problem. It was a symptom of the problem. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying sexual perversion is okay. I'm saying it wasn't the original issue. That all came from one thing, which was they were doing well. And when they started doing well, instead of looking to God, they looked to themselves. It says they had lots of food and they had careless ease. They were arrogant about it. And because they had all this, they became arrogant instead of looking to God. And they didn't help the poor. They didn't help the needy. They figured, we've got this We can take care of ourselves. And from that pride came other things. Because look what it says in the next verse. Thus they were haughty, proud, arrogant, and committed abominations before me. Those abominations came from their pride. That's where it all started. Now, we're living in a rerun of this whole thing. In every empire, whether you go through the Bible and you see the major cities, it's so interesting, but the the biggest cities, the ones that thrive, the ones that we remember in history, cities like Nineveh, cities like Babylon, cities like Rome, great cities. Sodom was that in the ancient, ancient, ancient world. Then Nineveh, then Babylon. All of these places, and then, you know, parts of Persia, and then Greece, then Rome, all of these, these things sprung up. And the greatest cities that had the greatest technology and the greatest wealth and the greatest advancement, what happened was pride came with it because they didn't honor God. And with that pride came great evil. It's not God that hates success. Because at the same time Sodom is doing well, Abram is doing well and in fact Abram does better than Sodom and when Sodom is attacked and they are under attack and they are defeated, Abram goes with his little band of rebels and goes, these little tribal rednecks go and rescue the whole city of Sodom and sets them free and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are so thankful that they say, Abram, Abram Here's the spoils from the battle. Here's all the treasure, the bounty. You have it. And Abram said, I don't want any of your stuff. I don't even want a shoelace from you because here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, you made me rich. When in reality, the world was going to see that God made Abram rich. Was the problem that they had lots of stuff? No, or else Abram would have been in sin. The problem wasn't the stuff, the problem was the attitude that came with it. The arrogance, "We've got this. we're doing it." Babel was the same thing. The problem wasn't that they had the ability to build a tower. The problem was that they were arrogant about it. They said, "We'll be like God. We'll, we'll reach to the heavens." And that arrogance killed them. So here we are. In Western civilization that has everything we need. we have. Abundance of food. We have careless ease. But arrogance has come with it. Not everybody. I hope I'm not sitting amongst a group of people today that would say, that's me and my family. If it is, today's a good day to turn around. But when you go on a rescue mission into the mud, It's easy to get mud on you. It's easy to get some of that attitude on you if you're not careful. That arrogance that says, we can reach to the heavens. You know, I love science. I haven't always loved science. As a kid, there were times where I had a love-hate relationship. Certain years, I just loved it. and Certain years, I didn't. I don't know what happened. My dad was the scientist of the family. In fact, uh, before he became a minister, uh, as a teenager, he got born again, but before that, his career trajectory was headed towards science. He had uh, won state science fairs. He was, get, you know, re- right in line to get scholarships to the best universities. But instead, he got born again, and uh, God set him on fire. And you know, in that in that s- small well, it wasn't small. That Texarkana, that city down in Texas and Arkansas border. they looked at him like he was going to be the next Billy Graham, where once he was going to be a scientist, instead he turned to God. And some of his relatives and some of the people that knew him were ashamed that he had turned to the Gospel because he was so promising in science. They figured he had wasted his life until they saw the fruit of his life. I believe they've changed their mind. But here's the deal. I have now come to the point well, I really love learning this stuff. But can we just say right now, science is not a god, it's not a person. All that science means, it's just science is from the Latin word for knowledge. That's all it is. It's the sum of our human shared knowledge. And our knowledge is limited. We're not as hot as we think we are. We only know what we know. And every year we learn something new. But God who created us knows more than all of that. So while science is wonderful, we need to put it in its proper perspective and realize we don't know everything. So it's wonderful to reach for the stars. As long as you remember who made the stars. Remember that you don't know everything about the stars. Oh, I found out one little thing, one more new little thing. As we said a couple of weeks ago, it's like ants thinking they figured us out. They might learn something new about us. They might observe the the rubber soles in our shoes and figure that that's the the core of our being because that's what they see the most. So that must be where the organs are and everything. But it's just our shoe. They might think they got it. They know it. Ah, we figured it out. But they're limited. To them, it's great knowledge. To us, it's barely anything. In all of our learning, the Bible says, the wisest man in the world said this In all of your learning, Get understanding. And understanding is saying this. I don't know everything I think I know. And he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom. So we think we got it figured out. We've we've discovered this and we've discovered that. And in doing so, we've become arrogant. And unfortunately, if we're not careful, it slips our way into us. That we go, you know what? I can do this. I've been trained for this. I'm educated for this. I can do this for the Lord because I've got this. And He says, "Good for you. I love you. I'm thankful." But I was never going to use. I was never going to use you because you had all of this. I was going to use you because you were willing to rely on me. I'm sure there was some Israelites in the group when Joshua. Says we're going to go take Jericho. That said, finally my chance. I've been thinking about Jericho. I've been thinking how best to destroy that wall. And I I think we should bypass the wall altogether, or else we should uh, send some send some dummies that just go and take a few of the arrows first, and then we'll just kind of take shade and we'll just hack away at one. We'll just keep hacking at one stone until it gives way. And then Joshua comes back and says, the Lord has spoken to me. I have a battle plan. And maybe they were at the edge of their seats. Finally, God recognizes my skill in siege warfare. I have ideas of towers we can build. I have ideas of rocks we can throw. I've been waiting for my moment. And Joshua says, here's what we're going to do. And everybody's at the edge of their seats. And Joshua says, we're going to walk around the city. Well, that's good. Recon. That's good. Recon. We'll go around and we'll we'll look at the walls and we'll size it up. Out of range of the archers, right? You know, we'll just go around. We're gonna walk around and at the front, and I'm sure they're going, Oh yeah, at the front. We put our best soldiers at the front, right? At the front, we will put the priests and the musicians. Okay. Alright, okay. They're gonna blow trumpets, they're gonna play songs. Okay. Not getting the whole thing here. And then Joshua says, and you're all gonna shut up, and we're we're gonna keep our mouths shut while we walk around the city. Okay, that's a weird plan, but all right, I'm sure we're just going to do that once. We're going to do that for six days, for six days. Okay. Well, I don't know why we're doing it for six days. Maybe this is like psychological warfare, just to mess with them. I could get with that, all right. But then on the seventh day, that's our day of victory. Oh, yes, here it comes. Here is here is the master plan of how to break these walls down. I wonder what we're going to do. Joshua says, this time we're going to march around the city more times than we normally do. Okay. And when we march around the final time, we're going to stop. Okay, here's the plan. Then we're going to blow the trumpets and you're all going to yell at the top of your voice. And anybody that was a scientist in the group says, Joshua has lost it. He ate too many of those weird promised land grapes and he's, he's gone bananas. He's, he's just nuts now. We're all going to shout. And when we shout, God will deliver the city to us. They did, the walls crumbled, the walls of Jericho crumbled. It defied their logic. It defied their understanding. At no point did they get halfway through the crumbling, and God said, "Okay, you can take it from here." The whole time they relied completely on Him. It's good that you're educated. It's good that you train, but that desire for goodness in you—here's the thing. All over North America, we have those that have been inspired by the Scriptures, which is wonderful, but they've stopped there. They've been inspired to do good things, but they haven't allowed themselves to be empowered to do good things. They've been inspired. The Lord wants us to feed the poor. What can we do? And we we use the same methods that the secular charities use to get it done. When in reality, that's wonderful. We've been inspired by the right thing, but you could do so much more if you were empowered by God to do it. If you relied on his ideas and his plans, and maybe they look nutty to the rest of the world, but God put it in your heart. God's the one that can do it. And so we rely on him. And you know what? More gets done. We say, okay, we're going to reach the world. So how, how does Hollywood reach the world? Here's how they do it. We can learn this. We can copy this. When in reality, God said, I've got a better way than Hollywood has. I've got a way that would never work for Hollywood. Listen to me and learn from me, for I've got the way to reach the world. I'm the one that created it. You want, you've got these desires for goodness in you. You've got these plans, you've got these things you want to do for God, you've got compassion, you've got, you've got hope, you've got love, you've got them flowing out of you, and you want to do great things. And the problem is, you, you get that goodness from God, you get that desire from God, and then you go to your brain and go, brain, what do I know that can get this done? What have I been trained to do that can get this done? Instead of saying, God, what is your divine plan for getting this done? Instead of saying, God, I can't do this without you. I don't care how much training I have. I don't care how much education. God will use your education. If you'll lay your education at his feet, he'll use it. But it's going to be different than you think. I want you to turn to another place in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Anybody heard of King Uzziah? Right on. We got some people that heard of King Uzziah. who might have church today. Anybody name their kids King Uzziah or just Uzziah? No, because naming them King Uzziah would be weird. But just Uzziah, that's normal, right? No, nobody. Okay. Well, cue it up. Some of you are still got babies coming. We can call them Uz or Uzi, Uzi, huh? <laughs> you're guaranteed to get checked a little bit extra at the airport every time you fly. King Uzziah. Right on. Okay. Let's look in chapter 26, verse 1. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. Can you imagine being king at 16? And made him king in the place of his father, Amaziah. He built... built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yekila of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding through the vision of God. Listen to this. As long as he sought the Lord, God. Prospered him. I'll read that again. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now he went out and warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Yebnah and the wall of Ashdod and he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines. God helped him and against the Arabians who live in Gerbaal and the Meonites. The Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah and his fame extended to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. How did he become strong? God helped him. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and at the corner buttress and fortified them. He built towers in the wilderness and hewed many cisterns for he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plain. He also had plowmen and viedresses in the hill country and fertile fields for he loved the soil. These towers, this was new technology for them. God helped them develop new technology to help them in their defense. That's pretty cool, huh? You think that everything God does is so super spiritual. Here God helped them build super cool towers. All right? So that's pretty cool. To me at least. (laughs) Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered entered combat by divisions according to the number of their muster, prepared by Yael the scribe and Messiah the official under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. The total number of the heads of the household, the valiant warriors, was 2,600. Under their direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, armor, bows, and sling stones. In Jerusalem, now listen to this technology. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men. This is new inventions. Isn't this cool? But where did these inventions come from? It says skillful men, right? But where did the skillful men get the ideas? We're about to see to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. God marvelously helped Uzziah. Can you imagine being marvelously helped? Marvelously helped. So helped by God that it is marvelous. God helped them invent engines and and new technology things things that they had never encountered or seen isn't this wonderful but then look in the next verse but when he became strong his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense then Azariah the priest entered after him and with him 80 priests of the Lord valiant men they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. Now, there's a lot that came after this, and Uzziah eventually contracted leprosy. Very sad end to his rule. That's how he died. Terrible. Well, he died with leprosy. I don't know if it was leprosy that killed him, but he died with it. Terrible story, because at the beginning, it starts out so good. And God helped him. God helped him with science. God helped him with provision. God helped him with strength and security. But then he began to get proud that he did this, and he had this, and it brought him down. His arrogance brought him down. Don't you know, sometimes we get so afraid of it because we see people fall in love with the things they shouldn't have fallen in love with. We see people get proud and we get arrogant and we say, hands off, I can't touch it. I can't be trusted. I can't be trusted with my business doing well. I can't be trusted with a good job. I can't be trusted to be too smart or too educated because I don't think I could stay true to God. Some of the greatest men in the Bible Men like Abraham, men like Daniel, men like Joseph had a lot going for them, but the whole time they remained humble before their God and said, without him, we can do nothing. And because they had that attitude, God helped them and helped them and helped them. The Bible says of Daniel, he had a more excellent spirit about him. He knew more, his education, his wisdom went, by, went past everybody in Babylon. But because he trusted in the Lord and put God first, he never fell. He didn't let arrogance come in. He didn't let that come in. He remembered the whole time that it was God that did this. And so after all that he knew, after all the stuff he knew, when he received a great vision from the Lord, instead of saying, I've interpreted dreams before, I've wrote a book about it, I know what everything means and every symbol, instead of doing that, what did he do? He fell on his face and prayed. And he waited 21 days for an answer from God before he opened his mouth to anyone else. Here's a man who could have come up with some sort of explanation for his vision, but instead he knew what got me here was listening to God and trusting God. That's what's going to get me through. God raised him up, but he stayed in those positions because he kept humble before God and knew anything I do is going to be coming because of him. So back to this thought in 2 Thessalonians. Let's wrap it all together here. We live in a culture that has become so trained and educated and prosperous that they become arrogant, thinking they have need of nothing. And thus are powerless in the things of God. It's no surprise that often when we go to the third world countries and preach the gospel, we see miracles on a scale we've never seen here. And I've seen it with my eyes, and, and you might say, oh, people are more gullible there. You can't be gullible when a visible goiter disappears off your neck. That doesn't happen by adrenaline. That doesn't happen by, oh, I think it's going away when a lady who's completely stone blind can now see completely. You can't say, oh, oh, it's just, uh, you know, she, she just got better. When a man who's paralyzed from the neck down is now walking and leaping and praising God, you can't say, oh, he just, you know, the pain went away for a little bit. It wasn't pain that went away. It was sensation that came back. He can feel now. He can walk now. Why does that happen there? Because they've got no illusion about how much they need God. There was no arrogance there. Simply believing. If you say God will do this, I believe it. Whereas here, we've been raised on commercials that lied to us all our lives. Always telling us this thing is better than this thing. You're not happy until you get this thing. And we're skeptical. The media is always a little slanted one way or the other, and so we're skeptical. We've trusted in our own knowledge so much that it's weakened our faith because we think we've got the answers. And what we've got to do at the church is come back to that place where it is according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus, where it is a work of faith with power, where that Desire for goodness because you all have it. In every one of you, you've been inspired by the Word of God. You've known that there was something more for you to do on this planet. That's called the desire for goodness. But here, the prayer, the prayer is that God would fulfill that desire in you. And the work of faith with power, His power. And it is according to His ability working within you. It's according to His grace working within you. It's according to His strength. It's according to His anointing. When you get these good ideas from God, I want to feed the poor. I want to reach the world with the gospel. I want to fund missionaries all over the world. When you get to this point, that is a good desire. But don't say, and I've got just the plan to do it. Because this is where my education, this is where my training gets in. Get on your knees and hear from God. And never for a moment stop relying on God. Because that work of faith is meant to be a work of faith all the way through. And if it is a work of faith, it will be a work of faith with power. And if it's a desire for goodness that God put there, God will fulfill it if you'll trust in Him. Let's humble ourselves before the hand of God and he will exalt us. Humble ourselves before our God and say, God, we are your people. Use us as you see fit. Don't ever, ever settle for an Ishmael when you can have an Isaac. You say, but it was God's idea that I have a child. Abram said, God told me to have a child, and obviously Sarah can't have it. So, so a miracle happened in my body. I can now have kids, but Sarah can't. So we went to get a servant girl and said she'll be the mother of the child. And he had Ishmael. And from that decision, ancient strife follows us today. And God said, no, this isn't the child. I said I'd bring a child through you and Sarah. If you trust me, if you wait for me, it'll be the child of promise. Don't settle for Ishmael when you can have Isaac. Don't settle for what you can do when you can have what God can do. Amen? Amen. I believe there's a desire for goodness in you. I believe you've got a desire for goodness. You have that desire in you you have the desire to do good things you have desire to do great things you have desire to let god use you but god will never call you to the possible he always calls us to the impossible why because he says and when we do in verse 12 when we trust him let him fulfill this desire that it will that that god would be glorified in us and we would be glorified in him You see, God is glorified in you when it's apparent to the world that you never could get this done. God is glorified in you when everyone looks at you and says, I don't know how they did it. They were incapable of such things. We've got to get back to that place the church was at. But get further than that because we're in the latter days. Did you know what the early church had? They had a blissful ignorance of how to do things without Jesus. Because of that ignorance, they did great things. Because they didn't have time to figure out a system on their own. You know, when they picked deacons to feed the poor and the widows, they said, pick from among you those full of the Spirit and full of faith and wisdom. Pick those people. They didn't say pick your best business people. They didn't say you know, pick your guys that are best with money. They say, pick your guys that are full of faith. And they'll know how to take care of this money. They'll know how to feed the poor. That's what we've got to look to. Churches have often said, well, we've got this, these, these business people here. They know how to run things. We'll let them handle the money. I've got no problem with that unless they're trying to handle the money like everybody else handles their business. Because this is God's work. and He's got a supernatural way to get it done. God will use business people if they're willing to be humble and say, I'm going to start from square one and let God get this done. Amen? Let's stand up together. My prayer for you is that He would fulfill every desire for goodness in you and the work of faith with power. That you would be marvelously helped and that as you grow in knowledge, you'd grow in humility. As you grow in knowledge, you'll grow in love. As you grow in wisdom, you grow in honor for God. As you grow in understanding, you grow in the fear of the Lord. Don't be afraid of success. For we saw in the Scripture that it was God's desire. When His hand is on something, it does well. But don't let success rule you. Don't seek the success. Seek the king. Your success, as the world knows it, goes away. It doesn't last. It's like the grass of the field it burns up as fast as it can grow. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of those things are. Here's what we want to pray today. I know everybody here has got ideas from the Lord, but specifically, I understand there are some of you today that have inside of you a desire, that God's put in you a desire to do some things for His kingdom, and quite frankly, you have no idea how to get it done. And that's probably a good thing. Or maybe you thought you knew how to get it done, but you are starting to think you need to rethink the whole thing. Like, maybe God's got a better way. And you're not at that point yet. You're you're getting there. You're not at the point where it's a reality, but it's in your future. And you don't, you may see shadows and silhouettes, but the clarity of the thing hasn't really come. Maybe it's far away. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's 15 years down the road. But there's a desire for goodness in you. If that desire there and you've got maybe an idea that God gave you or a ministry that He's put as a seed in your heart that's yet to really spring up above the surface, we want to pray that you'd be marvelously helped and that God would speak to you and that your, through your humility and your faith that He would fulfill that desire for goodness in you. So I want anybody here today, if you're one of those folks that God's put an idea in you, something, a desire for you, a a hole that's not being filled, something you've seen in your future and you don't know if you're a part of it, you're meant to run it. You you may not know everything, but you know that it's in your future. You don't know how to do it or maybe you thought you did and you believe that God has a better way. Would you come up here and we'll pray together? Because I believe that God is able to fulfill that desire and He's able to give you the wisdom that only He can give. I believe that He is able to help you. And I believe you don't need to be afraid of that idea. You don't need to be afraid of that ministry if that's what it is. You don't need to say, well, I don't trust myself with it. Because all you need to do is trust God with it. All you've got to do is trust God with it. He's able to do what you can't do. He's able to do what you never could. And He's got the ideas. He's got the wisdom for you. He's got the knowledge. He's able to get it done. Thank God. Thank God He's able to get it done. Let's just begin to pray right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, we put our hope in you. We give this idea, this seed of whatever it is that you put in us, we lay it at your feet in the name of Jesus. We lay it at your feet. We know that it's not ours, it's yours and yet you've called us to be a part of it. Lord, we come before you with humility, humility of mind and spirit, and we know that without you we can do nothing. But through you all things are possible, and there really is no ceiling. There really is no limit to what can be done in the power of God. So enlarge our hearts and our minds enlarge our vision that we'd be able to dream bigger than what we've limited ourselves to by our own ability, by our own understanding, by our own education, by our own strength. Enlarge our hearts to see as you see and to believe that our God is able, that our God is mighty, that our God is a dreamer too, that our God is the one that gave the vision and that if he started it, He can finish it. Faithful is He who called you, the Scripture says. And He will be faithful to bring it to pass. So let's lift our hands right now in Jesus' name. Lord, as we lift our hands, we pray that we would be helped. That Your grace is more than enough for us. Your strength is more than enough for us. Your anointing is more than enough for us. Your help is more than enough for us. We give it to you. We give these dreams and these ideas back to you so that you can make them flourish and you can make them grow. We surrender our lives and ourselves completely to your service and trust that you're able to use us. You're able to give us what we need. You're able to provide. You're able to give the vision. You're able to give the provision in Jesus' name. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here right now, Lord, that they would be marvelously helped. That if they need people to come alongside and, and take a hold of them, that the right people would come at the right time. That if they need money to get it started, that at the right time the money would be there to get it started, that they wouldn't have to worry about money because you said not to worry about those things, but to seek the kingdom and all those things would be added. That their their eyes would be fixed on you. Lord, would you move past our understanding, move past our intellectual knowledge, move past all of that and use us to do things we never thought we could because here's what we desire, that you would be glorified in us. Be glorified in us and may we be glorified in you. Be glorified in our families and our jobs. Be glorified in our church. Be glorified in our province and in our city. Be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Here's my prayer for those those that are here for businesses. God gave you an idea for a business. My prayer for you is that that business would never become something it was not meant to be. That as long as As you run that thing, it will be for the glory of God. Money will not be your God nor your master. That everyone that works for you will be someone that God sends. And they'll be there for a reason and a purpose. That you would be helped marvelously with wisdom and understanding in all things. That God would give you wisdom you didn't train for and you weren't educated for. That the world would say, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how they did it, but they did. For those of you that are here because of a ministry that God's planted in you. In the name of Jesus, we speak life to that seed. We speak life to that seed. And we call it out that roots would go down and go deep, that you would be rooted and grounded in love, that you would be rooted and grounded in Him, so that when, yes, the storms come and the winds blow and the rains come, that that thing, even though it be young, even though it be small, that it would not be destroyed because the roots go so deep it is secure. And that that ministry that God has placed in you, As the Apostle Paul said, I was least fit for this ministry, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That you would know that it's not you that qualified yourself, but it is God that's qualified you. If he called you, he will equip you. If he called you, he will qualify you. If he called you, he will supply it. If he called you, he will bring you up at the right time. I want to remind you by the Spirit of God what the Word of the Lord says. It says this, that when we humble ourselves before God, He will exalt you at the right time. And so my prayer for you is that you would be patient when you need to be patient, and you would move when you need to move, that you wouldn't be timid and afraid and too cautious to act, but when you hear the voice of God, you'll run. You'll run into it. And what I want to say to you now is never, ever say to yourself. Never, ever let yourself fall into the trap of saying this. I don't know. What if people think that I'm just doing this to make myself big? What if people think that I'm not the right person? What if people think that I'm just trying to exalt myself? Don't listen to those lies. Simply listen to the voice of God. And what He calls you, He's the one that matters. What He called you to do, He's the only opinion that really matters. So go and do it with boldness. Go and do it with the love of God and the power of God. Go and do it in His strength and His wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor. We ask You, Lord, that You would guide us this week in all things. That You'd give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Lord, that we would glorify You. That as You send these people out as Your missionaries into a lost and dying world, they would bring hope and they'd bring life and they'd bring love. That every person in this room today that calls Jesus Lord is a minister of reconciliation. And so I call them out as ministers. We pray that as they go out, they'd be empowered and anointed to do their job, to do their task, whatever field and sphere you've called them to, that they would be anointed to operate in that sphere.